The first understanding to have is you're never selling the product or service. You're always selling decisions and good feelings about decisions, including to yourself. And most decisions, whether it's your own decisions or other people's, are made at the unconscious level. If you picture an iceberg, and this is sort of a trite metaphor, but it's also true, an iceberg, maybe 20% is sticking above the surface, but 80% is below the surface, which you can't see. And even though we think our decisions are based on facts, data, figures, and they are to some extent, particularly if you're a sophisticated investor like your audience, still a great deal of those decisions are going to be affected by their moods. This is the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan, where we interview local real estate investors and professionals to go over tips, tricks, and investing strategies to help you learn about the business and to enable you to achieve your financial goals. And now, welcome to the show. Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan. Today we have Paul Ross. Paul is a master hypnotist and master of NLP. And in this episode, Paul will tell us how we can use our subconscious to massively increase our revenue. We'll be going over what affirmations we should say on a daily basis and why it's so important to have the right mindset to be a winner. If you're new to this podcast, subscribe to the show and leave a review. We release episodes every Wednesday and Sunday and release the show notes on our site, everythingrei.com slash podcast. By the way, if you need help financing your next real estate project, check out Conventus Lending. Conventus is the best hard money lender with amazing rates and incredible service. I've used them for years, and they've always been incredibly easy to work with. If you need a hard money loan, contact me at sean at everythingrei.com to get $1,000 off of your processing fee. And if you want to know the secrets of how investors in the Bay Area are making huge profits in one of the most expensive markets in the world, Download the free Ultimate Bay Area Investing Handbook on our website, everythingrei.com. Enjoy. All right, Paul, thank you so much for being on the show today. Go ahead and introduce yourself and let us know who you are and tell us what you do. So I am Paul Ross. I am a master hypnotist. I'm a master trainer and practitioner of neurolinguistic programming. I'm the author of the critically acclaimed by myself and my readers of the book, Subtle Words That Sell, How to Get Your Prospects to Convince Themselves to Buy and Add Top Dollars to Your Bottom Line. I basically take already very successful entrepreneurs and business people and sales professionals and tell them, teach them how to massively increase their revenue through the power of subconscious communication. So we want to skip the conscious mind and go right to the decision maker, the unconscious or subconscious mind. I use the terms interchangeable. Perfect. So let's go ahead and talk more about that subject because I don't know anything about selling and going towards subconscious. So the first understanding to have is you're never selling the product or service. You're always selling decisions and good feelings about decisions, including to yourself. And most decisions, whether it's your own decisions or other people's, are made at the unconscious level. If you picture an iceberg, and this is sort of a trite metaphor, but it's also true, an iceberg, maybe 20% is sticking above the surface, but 80% is below the surface, which you can't see. And even though we think our decisions are based on facts, data, figures, and they are to some extent, particularly if you're a sophisticated investor like your audience, still a great deal of those decisions are going to be affected by their moods. I don't normally work with day traders, but I have before. And the number one thing day traders come to me with is I can't keep my emotions out of my investments. Usually if I keep my emotions out of it and set aside my ego, then I can make good decisions. So even the most sophisticated investor needs to 
create a mindset where they're interested in that particular investment. But, and here's the paradox, they're invested in their skills as an investor. I know that seems like a mouthful. So getting to that mindset where you're not positive or enthusiastic, but in fact, you're neutral. So you have to balance a neutral mindset where you're looking at the facts and data with just the right amount of enthusiasm. And that is largely a process that's shaped by your language. So there's two aspects of subconscious communication. So there's intrapersonal communication. That's the way you communicate with yourself. And then there's interpersonal communication. Now, language is powerful in both because language, what I teach, look, here's the difference between what I teach. And it's great that you have a sales process. I only work with winners who already have a sales process. But the thing to understand is, first and foremost, I help my clients design the state of consciousness they want to be in. So selling as being about states of consciousness is a crazy idea. And I'll unpack that further so everyone as they're listening to me can get a clear understanding of exactly what it is I mean. So if you're going to do a presentation to someone, if you're going to present a marketing plan, most people think of what are the facts, what are the figures, what are the data? But first, I teach my students, wait a minute, what state of mind do you want the recipient of your pitch to be in? Do you want them unfocused? Do you want them skeptical? And I say, no. How can we create states of rapport, trust, focus, so they pay attention? And parenthetically, most people nowadays have the attention span of a goldfish. Remember when YouTube ads were two minutes long? I do. How long are YouTube ads now? Five seconds. 15 seconds. So even if you've got their trust and you've got rapport, don't assume they can continue to focus. You have to create those states of focus through the power of suggestion. And then you have to design your own state. You have to design a state where you're present, where you're able to calibrate people's responses to see where they are in the sales process. And creating those states is highly dependent on how you language things to yourself. If, for example, you say, I can't wait to close this big money deal. Well, I say there are no big money deals. There are only bigger opportunities. Do you understand? So just the difference between a deal and an opportunity. It sounds, it can at first before you stop and really consider the wisdom in it, a trite difference, but it's actually a really big difference. Is this beginning to make some sense? Is it because when you think of a deal, you're thinking of just like a one-off, I guess, opportunity, but opportunity things is a bigger picture, something that you can look forward to? Correct. And I teach professional salespeople, and they one of the big problems is I can't do cold calls. And I say, wait a minute. Are you literally freezing? When you reach for that phone, is it literally filled with icicles? Is the other person encased in ice? So just thinking about it that way stops them. I say, what happens is you now begin to think of it as an opportunity outreach. So immediately when they think about it as an opportunity outreach, they're freed from that notion. And one of the other notions they're freed from, if I'm doing a cold call, who holds the value? Myself or the person I'm calling? Yeah, we hold the value. Actually, no. If you're doing a cold call, you're trying to get a sale from another person. When you phrase it as an opportunity outreach, you're offering an opportunity. When we offer an opportunity, we're the ones who are giving the gift. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So I hope that answers your question. Okay. I give very wordy answers. Oh, no, that's great. And when you're doing a cold call, I know it, it takes a lot of effort, but you also have to have some good words to use. Otherwise, you know, they're going to think that you are some 
random telemarketer and they're going to hang up the phone on you. So what are some of the words that you use to immediately get their attention and build rapport? Well, first and foremost, before I even do that, I have to set the frame that I'm the one who has a time limit, right? So I'll say, hey, so-and-so, this is Paul Ross. I only have a minute to explore an opportunity with you together. Now, when you say, I only have a minute, you're putting a time constraint on it. So you're pacing the objection that they don't have the time to listen to you. Does that make sense? You're pacing the objection and you're already disarming it and dismantling it. And then you say, I only have a moment to share this opportunity with you. I want you to listen to that key word. Share is what I call an implied relationship word. Do we share things with people who we don't trust? No. Right. So even buying into that word creates the unconscious perception. Remember, it's subtle. The name of the book is Subtle Words Itself. That subtle word communicates the unconscious that you already have trust and rapport with the person. Does that make sense? So you do it really fast. You do it instantaneously really fast because your brain works faster than you think. Mm -hmm. So you're basically flipping the script by saying that you're the one who has a time constraint and you're out there sharing because you are you know, helping them out, but also because you're helping them out, they think of you as a trusted person as well. Now, remember, I'm a hypnotist. And hypnosis, we have something called a pattern interrupt. A pattern interrupt relies on a couple of principles. First and foremost, people respond, act, think, and feel in predictable patterns of behavior. When you interrupt that pattern, you create a temporary window of suggestibility through which you can lead that person. People in a suggestible state are much easier to sell than people in a skeptical state. Does that make sense? I'll say it again. People in a suggestible state are much easier to sell than people in a skeptical state. And you can create those states of suggestibility within the first couple of minutes. In the first couple of sentences, you can do it. Now, I know that sounds like a bat bleep crazy claim. But as you stop and find yourself imagining what it would be like for you, to apply all these principles only as quickly as you see what it will do for you, I think you might feel a growing curiosity of what it is I have to teach today. Mm -hmm. Now, did I say anything specific there? I don't know. It was probably too subtle. I didn't. But in the way I phrased it, I created a blank in the listener's mind. So whatever you can get the prospect to imagine for themselves would be perceived by them as being their own thought. So when I speak vaguely, I create the blank. And they fill it in with their own thoughts. Too often, salespeople make the mistake of being specific, giving details, giving facts, data, figures, information. I say first create those states of instant, focused, rapport, trust through your language. Through your language, you can do it in two sentences. Do you have any other examples besides the first one you gave us about, I only have a minute to share some information with you? Yeah, sure. So this is something I do more for realtors and people who are selling real estate, but it applies to anything. So I would say something like this. Instead of, here's what so many people do when they do presentations. They say, okay, I'm going to do this presentation for you today, and I want you to be sure you ask whatever questions that come up. Does that make sense? That's what people do all the time. They'll introduce themselves. Hi, I'm John Jones with so-and-so company. We have an amazing track record that I think is going to blow you away. And I have something great for you today. So as you're listening to me, feel free to ask whatever questions. Does that make sense? That's what most people do. The problem with that is when you do a presentation to someone, that's exactly what you're doing. You're on the other side of the table, so to speak, from them. 
So instead, I use what I call implied relationship words. So here's how I would phrase it differently. And people, listeners, I invite you to listen to this podcast multiple times so you can get the subtlety of it. Instead, I would say, as we're exploring this together today, I just want to say that I invite you to feel free to share the questions that naturally arise when a great opportunity is being presented. Now, look at that. As we share this or as we explore this together today, we explore and together are implied relationship words. Do you get it? I'm not saying I'm going to present it. I'm going to say we are going to explore it together. That implies we're on the same side of the table. So the unconscious mind, not the conscious mind, but the unconscious mind says, oh, I'm going to explore with this person and that person is a leader. So when you sell, selling is not just about enrollment, it's about leadership. So what if that person on the other side of the deal, on the other side of the table, whatever it is, could not only view you as someone they trust, what if they could view you as a leader? Because for every leader, there must be a what? Follower. Exactly. Listen to me, and I mean this. This works on even the most powerful, high-powered executive or CEO. Because every CEO, every high-powered person, they all dream at night. They all have an unconscious mind that's quite active. So on the unconscious level, they reach the conclusion that you're their leader and they follow. Now, I know, once again, that sounds badly crazy. But it's the very ways of thinking, feeling, and responding that stands so far outside of what you're used to doing that hold the potential of giving you the results that are so far outside and beyond what you're used to enjoying. Does that make sense? So basically, we want to incorporate our potential clients by saying we together share, like we are going to explore together. Yes. And I also said something else. I didn't say, please ask whatever questions come up. I said, I invite you to share the questions. Now, do we extend invitations to people who are not important to us? No. No. I invite you. What's the difference in saying ask the questions and share the questions? I guess ask is kind of like when you're a professor and just talking to a you know giant lecture hall and expecting someone, whereas inviting is having them come through. But when we say share the questions, that implies a relationship, doesn't it? Mm. Right. So again, and then do your sales process, do your pitch process. I'm not here to replace your pitch process. I'm here to add in things that will supercharge it. It's like a car without a turbocharger. So you're going to drive your car and use your engine. I'm coming in and putting in the turbocharger and making it 30%, 40%, 50% more effective. Does that make sense? That's why I only work with people who are already really successful. I don't want to have to drag the other people through the mud. I want people who want to get the cutting edge on their own best performance. And quite frankly, and I'm sorry if it offends people out there, crush their competitors. But that's not you. I don't know how much I can help you. Yeah. And if you are like, because right now we have this COVID pandemic going on. I'm sure a lot of people are going through a big funk. They probably have very poor mindsets right now because just seeing about you know how, how much they're losing economically. What kind of suggestions do you have for people to get out of that bad mindset? I have a beautiful one. Believe me, I've gone through incredible, my own losses and challenges. And here it is. I say this every morning, three times in the shower. Here we go. I am blessed to have my challenges in my life. I am blessed to joyously, courageously, and creatively face my challenges in my life. 
I am blessed to joyously, creatively, and courageously conquer my challenges in my life. So when we look on it, and I know this may sound airy-fairy and new agey, but when we look at a challenge as a blessing, it's not something that's happening to us. It's a blessing that's being offered for us. I am blessed to have my challenges in my life. I am blessed, and here come adjectives, to joyously, courageously, and creatively face my challenges in my life. Forgive me, they're adverbs, not adjectives. I am blessed to joyously, courageously, and creatively conquer my challenges in my life. Now, here's the real mind blower. This is a spiritual practice. Whoever thought that finance, doing investing, can be a spiritual practice. But in fact, when you look at your challenges as a blessing, that's 50%. May I share the other 50%? Yep. The other 50% has to do when the other person just won't make the deal. Rather than cussing them or cursing them, I like to say, and again, I bless that person. I say, bless you on your journey. May you flourish and prosper and grow. Thank you for having presented yourself in my life. When you can look at rejection as blessing, and not only that, you take the person who frustrated you and bless them, crazy as that sounds, as out there and as outrageous as it sounds, it gives you the opportunity to develop investing as a spiritual practice. Now, that is another bat bleak crazy idea. But in fact, radical acceptance to me is at the heart of doing anything well. Radical acceptance and precision. Of course, you have to have precision. If you don't know your numbers, then you can be accepting and you can be enthusiastic, but you have to be precise. So make no mistake about it. I'm not telling your audience, don't be precise. Absolutely. You know your numbers, you know your pitch, but there's another side of it and there's another side of it, which is being able to accept the fact that you're, some things are not going to work out. Look, I look at any kind of sales, whether it's selling your pitch or whatever, there's two ways to look at it. There's what I call the vending machine theory. You put in your 50 cents of preparation, your 50 cents of knowing your pitch, your 50 cents of rapport, your 50 cents of closing, and out comes the deal when you push the button. Well, in fact, any kind of business can be chaotic. We know that. I don't know why people won't admit this. There's an element. You're a business person, are you not? Mm -hmm. Are there not elements of chaos in any deal you do? Always. Always. So why doesn't anyone talk about chaos? Everyone talks about confidence. Let's admit the truth. Any truth that's admitted and faced squarely can be handled. So another one I say to myself is confusion, uncertainty, and chaos are my gateways to my clarity, my focus, my purpose, my vision, my wonderful achievement of my fantastic business and financial goals. So I welcome chaos. Well, if you can make uncertainty and chaos your best friends and walk through life hand in hand with them, you'll have a big leg up, big leg up on those people who rely on peak states and the myth of constant motivation. Look, I teach mindset. I've taught mindset. By the way, I used to be a dating coach. That's not in my bio. So I work with the most screwed up, challenged people in the world. And I had to move them off of depression and confusion and self-hate and teach them to be consistently motivated. But even then, I've warned them, you're going to backslide. And you're going to have days where you just don't feel like it. And that's fine. The myth that you have to be constantly positive and motivated and confident is a terrible myth. And myths weigh us down. I want to demystify the process so people can see clearly 
the way things actually work. And we have to admit that chaos is a part of it. Part of, again, being a great investor, whether it's investing in real estate or distressed properties, whatever it is, requires that you have a realistic mindset. But you can be realistically motivated. You can have an informed motivation and a realistic enthusiasm. Notice I'm saying informed and realistic. So you have to study the market that's informed. You have to be a realistic, meaning you know there are going to be days when everything's going to fall to pieces. That doesn't mean you're falling to pieces. What is the reasoning behind accepting that bad things will happen to you and blessing your challenges? Does that just make you, I don't know, more capable during the day? And when challenges hit you, you don't get set back too much because you already accepted it mentally? I think it means you don't chew on your mistakes and you don't swallow down the poison of shaming and beating on yourself. There's, you know, there's an old thing. Don't be a masturbator and don't shit on yourself. A masturbator is someone who said, I must do it this way. It must happen that way. It must be the case that this deal go through. I must have a better track record. What's the difference? And again, subtle words. The book is subtle words itself. What's the difference between the word must and claim? I must get better results. I claim my better results. What's the difference between the two? I must get better results. I claim my better results. Can you hear the difference? I'm guessing claim is something that you you worked for, you earned it. That's right. When you go, you parked your car with a valet, have you not? Mm -hmm. When you park your car with a valet, do they give you a want check or a must check? No. What do they give you? It's not a trick question. Yeah, a claim ticket? Exactly, a claim check. So claim and my instead of must. Use what I call ownership language. Ownership language, which is another invention of mine, is a way of keeping your confidence without masturbating, without beating on yourself. I can tell you this as a hypnotist. The brain and the unconscious mind steers away from pain. So if you attach pain to your motivation, it's a crappy strategy. But if instead of beating on yourself with masturbating, you switch over and transform into using ownership language, there's a big shift. So is it basically that if you keep thinking and dwelling on your past failures that you're going to be mentally in a rut and unable to climb out and do better things? It's more than that. Here's another principle. The mind works on repetition, frequency, and momentum. So when you dwell on the mistakes, the brain can't tell the difference between what you dwell on and what you're programming back in. I learned this again from when I was a dating coach. I'd say to the guys, raise your hand if you've ever made a bad screw up with women. Every hand would go up. I'd say, now keep your hands up if and only if you dwelt on the mistake a hundred times and every hand stayed up. I said, keep your hands up if you dwelt on that mistake a thousand times and half the room kept their hands up. I said, now put your hands up if that only caused you to repeat the mistake even more and every hand went up. What we dwell on is what the brain just says, okay, he's repeating it to himself or she's repeating it to herself over and over and over. It must be what he or she wants me to do, so I'm going to do it. So it's no mystery that when you go back into the same context in life, the mistake is going to arise. It's not because you're a thing called a self-sabotager or you lack some mysterious fluid called self-esteem. You don't have a confidence problem. You don't have a discipline problem. What if you now realize you have a crappy learning strategy? When you dwell on mistakes, you're not trying to punish yourself. You're trying to find a lesson so you can do better next time. But 90% of the people in this world are not taught how to learn effectively. 
we're taught to memorize information, how to take tests, but we're not taught how to learn from every lesson. I hate this. As a teacher for 32 years, it drives me crazy when people give little fortune cookie advice like just learn from every mistake. Have you heard that piece of advice? Sure. Does anyone tell you a process to actually do that? No. Drives me nuts. Well, that's what I, the difference between me. I have a process for actually doing that. It's like someone who's broken down in the desert. Their car won't work. They get on their cell phone. They call the auto repair shop. And the auto repair person says, oh, just the carburetor. Dive down deep into the Wuzestat and adjust the fragile hazard. Okay, goodbye. Well, if they knew how to do that, they would have done it. So if you have a good learning strategy, you're going to make progress. I call this the radical art of getting the F out of your own way. People will build a lot more confidence if they get out of their own way more than they will by programming in the good stuff. That's another radically crazy idea. To me, confidence is more about getting out of your own way and accepting what is than it is constantly rehearsing. Yes, I am a great pitcher. I am a great investor. Instead, a great learning strategy is far more important. And we can dive into what that looks like, if you'd like. Yes, let's please do it. So first and foremost, you have to create a state of mind where you're willing to look with compassion or clarity in what you did, a state where there's no self-judgment. I call this witness consciousness. It's a state where you're no longer looking through your patterns or behavior or looking through your patterns or belief, but you're looking at them. As a hypnotist, if someone comes to me and says, I have a phobia of flying, I can cure that, no problem. But that's a small incremental change. The big change comes from my clients when I teach them how to create that state of mind where they're looking with clarity and compassion and even joy at what they did. And then thinking to themselves, what could I have done differently? What would someone else have done? If I already mastered the skill, what would I have added in? What would I have subtracted out? There's a whole diagnostic list. I don't have time to go through it, but with clients, I run them through a diagnostic tool so that they can look at what to adjust when they're in that wonderful little meditative or trance state that I teach them how to get into. I know this is very unfamiliar to you, but trust me, this is something I've been doing for a long time. And again, I worked for 30 years with the most screwed up people in the world, guys who've never had a date in 40, 50 years. It's actually quite sad. It's not funny, but they send me, to this day, I get emails with pictures of their kids and thank you notes and that sort of thing. That's great. So I guess to summarize, because again, we went through a lot and this is something that I'm very unfamiliar with. We want to be able to accept our mistakes so that we don't dwell on them, so that we don't just keep uh, reprogramming our minds to repeat that pattern. So instead, just look at them objectively, kind of like away from yourself, remove your ego and see what you can adjust next time. Right. And the way to do that, I found, is create a, a trance state. Don't get freaked out by trance. Learn to accept it. We're all going in and out of trance all the time anyway. It's a simple self-hypnotic procedure that I teach. And I have a diagnostic tool that you go through when you're in that self-hypnotic thing. So you can go, oh, what did I do well? The first thing I insist my coaching clients do when I get on a call is I ask them, what did you do well this week? What did you do well? What worked for you? What skills are you really doing well with? Because, again, we're biased through the educational system. On the unconscious level, the unconscious mind learns processes rather than content. So let me ask you, when you went to grade school and you got the paperback, what did they mark? Did they mark what you got right or did they mark what you got wrong? Always what you got wrong. 
Exactly. This is a stupid mistake. Valence people, we train people to look at their mistakes first rather than what they did right. And again, that's a crappy motivation strategy. First and foremost, with my clients, you look at what you did right on every level. What did you do right in your preparation phase? What did you do right as far as establishing rapport? What did you do right with your nonverbals, your tone of voice, your facial expressions? What did you do right in terms of learning from your lessons? I always want to focus people on what they did right first. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that way you program them to look at the positives instead of the negatives. I program them to look at what's effective rather than ineffective. I don't like the words positive and negative. I prefer effective and ineffective. Got it. What are some of the daily habits that you like to do to program your mind besides your, you know, your three things you said in the shower? I meditate. I meditate and I do a certain form of meditation called Vipassana. It's a Buddhist tradition where you get in a state where you just watch things arise in your body. You don't fight them and you don't feed on them either. You just let them be there and you watch them appear and you watch them vanish. And then I do self-hypnosis. Being a hypnotist, I've been doing self-hypnosis for God knows how long. And I visualize the way I'd like my life to be and what my goals are. And then I write down my goals. Look, all those things are good. Please continue. I want to say to everyone out there, if something is working for you, keep doing it. Don't replace it, but just add in what I'm already showing you. Layer it in and you'll find the results multiply. So it's interesting. I actually went to a Vipassana retreat about two years ago where I spent... 10 days at you know one of the locations up here. Who taught it? Goenka? Uh, is that his name? Oh, Goenka. Yeah. Well, he's passed on, but his disciples are everywhere. Yeah, Goenka. Right. Exactly. So, you know, I did that. And, you know, it was a good 10 days. But to be honest, I didn't practice afterwards. I felt it to be... I understand, right? I, I didn't really understand, like, what the... Like, people love meditation. I don't understand how that correlates to you know, whatever we're supposed to get out of it. I don't want to get into a discussion of Buddhism and Buddhist principles uh, because I don't want to step on people's religious beliefs. And it's a different discussion for a different kind of podcast. How about in terms of mindset? Is it supposed to be something to clear your mind or? I think over time you get the direct experience that there's not a thing called a self in there. There's self is not a thing. It's an activity. It's a set of processes that get bigger and get smaller and arise and, and fall away again. When you get that direct experience of self, it tends to diminish the suffering of life. I see. That makes sense. And I got a small piece of that during my 10-day meditation retreat. So I guess to summarize that. They're brutal, though. That's meditation boot camp. My teachers have been, I don't go for that. Yeah, it was uh, very painful. I'm not getting up at 4 or 5 a.m. Even if Scarlett Johansson, what's her name, Margot Robbie, want to give me a back rub and make me breakfast. It ain't happening. Yeah, but I guess that makes sense. So like by meditating every day, it allows you to distance your own suffering and problems because you realize that it's really not a big deal. Like no matter what's going on in your world, in your life, when you're meditating and just you know doing your thing, you suddenly don't realize that these problems aren't a big deal after all. Again, my orientation is getting the people the F out of their own way rather than build a super confident, super charismatic state of mind when you're picking up the phone or doing your pitch because charisma can come off as greasy and some people just are not capable of being charismatic. When I'm in front of a stage, I'm naturally charismatic. That's just in my blood, but not everyone can do it. I don't want people 
to do their, if you want to do positive thinking, great, but first get the F out of your own way or those bad habits of thinking that are on the unconscious level that you don't even know are there are going to create an inner civil war. Let me give you a metaphor. I'm Jewish and we celebrated Hanukkah when I was a little kid. Now I'm 61 years old. When I was eight years old, toy robots. My sister got a toy robot from my little brother, Stevie. I like to break his toys. Now back then, toy robots were not what they are today. Back then, toy robots didn't work wirelessly. They had a little cord and a controller. They could do three things. You could make their eyes blink, the light bulbs in their eyes. You can make them go forward. You can make them go backward. And being a schmuck, which is a scientific term for a little fart, what I did is I pressed the button for forward and backwards at the same time. Now, what did the robot do? It got two conflicting, equally powerful commands. It started to shake. Blue smoke came out of its robot butt as it caught fire and it fell over. The robot developed a deep internal conflict. So if you're doing all that positive programming, which I believe in, I write down my goals, I visualize my outcomes. But another part of your mind is saying, no, no, and it's dwelling on mistakes. You're going to create an inner civil war. So if you've ever felt like making progress and personal change has been difficult and exhausting, I don't care about the why that is or your personal history. I only care about the how. That's the process of how it takes place. I don't care about why. I only want to look at the deeper process. And if you can look at the deeper process, then you can shift and change it. Does that make sense to you? Mm -hmm. Yeah. What are some of the resources that you would recommend that some of our listeners can look into after listening to this episode? If you're in any way interested in reaching out and having a discovery call with me so we can talk about how I might be able to help you. First and foremost, I want to say oftentimes it's just one shift on that call. I can give them one shift and they're ready to go and they don't even have to work with me. That happens about 30% of the time when people talk to me. I just give them one shift and they can go their merry way and see great results. I don't, I want to qualify this. So I only work with people who are already winners. So you have to be doing multiple six figures or seven figures for me to even consider working with you. But it's easy. Just reach out. The subject should be mentor, M-E-N-T-O-R. And write me, Paul, at speakerpaulross.com. Paul at speakerpaulross.com. I'll give you a link to an application form because people do. Again, my time is, I am the most expensive coach you'll ever be glad you hired. So I have to screen people, but email me, Paul, at speakerpaulross.com. And the subject line is mentor. I'll send you a link to an application form, and we'll see. And again, oftentimes on these calls, 30% of the time, I give them one shift and they're good to go and off they go in a merry way. And I'm happy to do that. Perfect. Are there any last tips that you have to give to our listeners before we finish our show today? Again, it's more important to get the heck out of your own way than it is to get focused on being pumped up and positive and 100% every day. Get the heck out of your own way first. That's what I would say. And the second thing is language is powerful. Language structures consciousness shapes decisions and drives behavior. And remember, you're never selling your offer. You're never selling your product or service. You're always selling decisions and good feelings about decisions. You are a decision service technician, both for what you sell yourself on and what you're selling to the other side. Perfect. Well, Paul, thank you so much for being on the show today. It was a pleasure it. having you on. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can find the show notes and other episodes on our site, everythingrei.com slash podcast. If you live in the Bay Area, join our meetup group, where we meet up twice a month in San Jose at meetup.com slash everythingrei. And if you thought this was a great episode, let me know what your key takeaway was and share it with a friend who's interested in real estate investing.
Thanks and have a great day. This was another episode of the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan. If you enjoyed the show, leave us a five-star rating. It will only take a second and it'll help a lot. You can contact me at sean at everythingrei.com. That's S-E-A-N at everythingrei.com. Thanks and have a great day.